This podcast of Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by BASF. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day. And we hope you're having a a good day. We know that uh, in different parts of the country, the weather improving a little bit, allowing each day a little bit more field work to kind of get underway. But uh, we know that a lot of people still waiting for conditions to improve and a lot of other areas, of course, having a lot of work to do to recover and get things ready to go again. So various stages of uh, of planting progress going on around the country. Lots of other things to talk about today, including we'll talk with the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. As uh, this week, we on Monday, was the final day for public comment on the new WOTUS rule. We'll talk about the, that issue with the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts and how he sees uh, this progressing, what he likes, doesn't like about the new rule, and uh, where he sees us going from here. Lots to talk about with the markets and with the trade talks, with trade talks not only with China, but Japan. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone, and we're going to talk about uh, EPA perhaps uh, granting fewer Small refinery exemptions to the RFS moving forward. We'll get some thoughts from the National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters, Jarrett Renshaw, will join us on that. But first, as we check the news of the day, we're joined by Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, Congress is uh, out of Washington, so you decided you'd leave, too. You're in California, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, I arrived last night in Los Angeles, and I'm on my way uh, to a dinner down near San Diego in a town called Carlsbad, uh, where the uh, American-grown flower industry is sponsoring a dinner that will be held in the flower field. Most people don't realize that we still do have a cut flower industry in this country, and the California Cut Flower Commission is trying to promote it uh, nationwide. Uh, and so they do this series of what they call field-to-base dinners around the country, and I'm, I'm going to go down and cover that and write a story about it with pictures for my Hagstrom report. All right, very good. Well, let's talk about some of the other things. I mentioned Congress going on their Easter break. They did not get a disaster package passed, and there's still a lot of uh, debate, a lot of differences in uh, how they should approach this. Are they anywhere close, you think, when they come back? I'm not hearing that there's been that there's been much progress made. I don't know exactly what's going to take it. Uh, there will obviously have to be some kind of compromise on on Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, the the Democrats uh, are saying that Puerto Rico needs more aid, and President Trump has said he doesn't want to give them anything more than uh, some more food stamps. Uh, so there'll have to be some kind of compromise there. And then my thought also is that there might be some changes as the uh, losses uh, in um, the Midwest, particularly Iowa and Nebraska, are mounting. Uh, so uh, we'll just that'll be one of the first things to me when that will happen when Congress comes back. Also, we uh, are seeing that the Senate Ag Committee is going to get into the child nutrition deba- debate, and that that's always a hot debate, and you get into things like sodium levels and things like that. That'll be interesting to see where they go with this. Uh, uh, yes, yes, it will be. Uh, it, it, it will be interesting. I think that one of the things that people may not realize is that is that the government's purchase of child nutrition uh, or of things for child nutrition, and that includes the school meals. And also the WIC program that provides uh, food for uh, low-income mothers and their uh, and their children uh, are major sources of of, uh, of purchases by the government. So uh, even though it isn't directly related to agriculture, I think farmers and farm groups should pay uh, attention to this. Uh, it hasn't been reauthorized since 2005. I mean that it continue, that was a five-year bill that ended in 2010. But the programs continue because the money is appropriated. However, they'd like to do some uh, reauthorizing 
so that you could make some improvements to the program, especially summer feeding, uh, feeding those kids, uh, low-income kids, who depend on school lunch during the school year. Meanwhile, on trade, the uh, talks have wrapped up with Japan. Hopefully, more to come, and uh, a lot of uh, hope and optimism on on getting something done with Japan. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, the, the the idea is that we would at least get into the same position that some other countries are uh, following the this uh, well the Trans-Pacific Partnership that Trump withdrew from. The other countries went ahead with that, and that has put countries and, and, and other trade agreements have put uh, the European Union, Canada, Australia uh, in a better position to export to, to Japan uh, than the U.S. is. Uh, as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce noted the other day, the, the exports of pork and, and other uh, products, have, have gone, U.S. products, have gone down uh, in the last few years uh, because we're not in that game at the moment. Jerry, I, I've described the, the trade situation right now as a three-legged stool with one leg being USMCA, one leg being China, one leg being Japan. Not that there aren't other important markets as well, but as far as where we're focused right now and, and really moving things forward, uh, ideally we'd get all three of those legs uh, under us, but uh, uh, right now we're just waiting for any of one of the three. Uh, indeed. And last week, uh, I was in Kansas City for the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and Kansas State Conference on Agriculture. Uh, and I was rather surprised that Greg Dowd, the U.S. negotiator, uh, refused to say how these things are going, particularly China. Uh, even though some other administration officials, uh, you know, give positive reports all the time, uh, Greg would only say we still have more work to do. He's, he's unwilling to uh, to be either – he doesn't want to give a positive or a negative message until more negotiations have taken place. Hey, whenever we get a, a deal, you know, hopefully it's going to be a good one, and that would be big news. But uh, the political realities, I guess, uh, the closer to the next election, uh, uh, probably be a bigger political boost. I, I, I don't know how much that figures into it, but you can't just overlook that or ignore it either. Well, I know. I don't think President Trump can ignore this because of, of his dependence on farm country. Uh, and uh, you have to think of it. Iowa has always been a swing, swing state. It went, for, it went for Obama. It went for Trump. Uh, there are the rural areas of, of other states, such as Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Uh, these are the really competitive areas uh, in a presidential election year. Yep, all that could figure into the uh, timing of an announcement as well. All right, Jerry, enjoy uh, California, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, coming up a little bit later, we'll talk about some of those trade issues and how the markets are looking at them, and as well as the the planting situation this spring. We'll be talking markets a little bit later on with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. But coming up next, the president of the National Association of Conservation Districts talking about the new Waters of the U.S. proposed rule and what he thinks about it and uh, what role he sees conservation districts playing as we move forward. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia Growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia Herbicide Weed Control Guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. 
Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture and the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Well, we're hearing criticisms uh, being raised, uh, especially by some House Democrats on USMCA saying it needs to be renegotiated. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there are a number of different ways to address any concerns. There are side agreements. There is implementing legislation that could provide some assurance to, to members. At the end of the day, I know a lot of members are currently concerned about the impact of retaliatory tariffs, and if they're not lifted, Mike, uh, that would basically negate the benefits of the trade agreement. So I, I think there are a lot of issues the administration has to deal with. I know Ambassador Lighthizer has been working hard listening to folks and trying to figure out uh, the narrow path that all trade agreements have to pass uh, in order to get through the system. Uh, I'm confident that by the end of the day, people will realize that, at least for agriculture, this is an incredibly important uh, agreement. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The public comment period for New Waters of the U.S. rule ended on Monday. Among those submitting comments, the National Association of Conservation Districts. Their president, Tim Palmer, joins us now. Tim, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having the opportunity or taking the time to have me come on, Mike. Well, what uh, kind of give us the gist of your comments to uh, EPA on the new WOTUS rule? First of all, you know, the understanding of the comments uh, as presented to the EPA kind of uh, need a little bit of an explanation on the backstory of conservation districts. And, and I just stepped out of our local conservation district here in Madison County, Iowa, uh, to uh, join you on this call. And we have uh, meetings uh, regularly once a month, uh, more often than necessary, to take care of, uh, of our local needs. Uh, uh, conservation districts were, were uh, uh, for formed over 75 years ago on the basic premise that conservation was a local issue. And uh, as the landscape changes by the foot or going over the hill, it needs the understanding of uh, the people that live there to fully develop the conservation program. And so uh, that's, uh, that's why we're here. That's why I'm in Madison County. That's why we have 3,000 conservation districts across the country and over 17,000 locally elected officials that that uh, bring that local expertise to uh, to uh, uh, water quality and, and uh, soil health uh, programs. Uh, 
So the waters of the United States, uh, Mike, uh, uh, there was a, a comment that was passed, or a rule that was passed back in 2015 that that really did more to muddy up the understanding of what was considered of waters of the United States, uh, water of the United States, and and what was not. And uh, on my own farm, for example, uh, they uh, we saw a map of what they would it appeared to them were waters of the United States, uh, uh, places that were marked in blue or water courses. Ninety-five percent of those I agreed with, but when I saw one that was a fence row uh, uh, being marked as the water of the United States, I knew that there was a, a lack of understanding of what those uh, those waters really uh, uh, are locally, and you can't decide that from a satellite photo maybe or from an office uh, removed from the local area. So our comments reflected our NACD policy. Uh, it it, it uh, reflected that, that uh, uh, what is considered a tributary uh, has to be better defined. Uh, uh, waters that contribute to those tributaries, to those navigable waters. Navigable waters themselves, uh, the definition had to be clarified, uh, whether it was in-state, out-of-state, or interstate, intrastate, and uh, 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 and knowing that uh, are they what you would call formally navigable, or uh, are they just a, a perennial stream that or a stream that has water in it that you could uh, you know pull a, a canoe up or something like that? So I think that that's where we got to the point where we had to re- refine the rule again after the 2015 version came out. So you feel this gives more clarity to those issues. Are there some parts of the, even the proposed rule you would like to maybe even see uh, uh, refined a little bit more? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, it, it's just it, we need to have, uh, and, and we're going to recommend that, that uh, the co- local conservation districts get involved to help uh, clarify what those uh, uh, working with landowners, what waters they have, what streams they have, what ditches they have, what impoundments they have. Some of those are man-made. And we're considered uh, to have a, what they call a significant nexus to a uh, water in the United States, and they were ponds that had been built for livestock water that were uh, very small on the watershed. But uh, dealing with water in in southern Iowa is uh, uh, usually a, a, an instance of having uh, too much or not enough at the right time. But when I was working with uh, the comments back in 2015. And dealing with our national organization, uh, the understanding of of uh, the difference between water rights and 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 that uh, in the western states, uh, they had some of the uh, same stipulations placed on their water courses where they had bed bank and a high water mark, uh, which is pretty easy to define in some places. But they had those uh, those that were on the landscape that hadn't really been hit for 500 years. So, you know, they their their ancient uh, uh, washes on the landscape, but uh, under the former rule, they were considered a water United States. So, so that's what I think where we need to make sure that we have an understanding of, of what the Army Corps and the EPA think are connected waters, uh, what are uh, really connected waters, and and what what waters fall under state jurisdiction. We're talking with Tim Palmer, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. So, Tim, when we boil it down, does it come down to local versus federal oversight uh, of the of these uh, water issues? Is that what it's about? That's what it, that's what it's about for NACD is is knowing that uh, that water runoff uh, it, it, we know it affects downstream. We've been working for uh, for decades to. To mitigate the effects of runoff uh, uh, and water quality, uh, you can't outfox Mother Nature. That, that much is evident with the with the current uh, situation on the Missouri Basin. But but uh, but having that local knowledge of of what is happening on a landscape, how the runoff affects it, how the uh, practices affect it, and and whether or not a depression that it looks like it's holding water from space. Is really a wetland or a wet hole uh, is, is important, and that's where uh, we have that local that local knowledge that helps. The old rule or the the current rule that you're trying to get changed, many at the time described it as uh, overreach by the federal government, uh, a power grab by the federal government, and uh, 
a kind of a you know a power thing that the the, the basically the government didn't trust uh, uh, people on the local level to to address these issues, so they were going to force uh, regulation on uh, landowners. Is that the way you see that the, the old rule, and that's what you're trying to get away from? Yeah, uh, th- I think that was pretty much the. Uh, uh, actually, that was the reason why we were so involved is is because the the federal overreach they were they didn't even have a clear path forward of uh, for themselves for the Army Corps. Uh, they had been told by uh, the Supreme Court to have Congress clarify what they need to cover under navigable waters. Uh, uh, when I'm sitting in my uh, on my farmstead in southern Iowa and, and I look at uh, uh, a ditch that's uh, 350 days a year, I can walk up it and not get uh, not get water in my boots. That and I'm thinking that's not a navigable water, but I'm willing to give that. But I want to be involved in the discussion. And, uh, uh, and and help them clarify their their need for uh, uh, oversight uh, the, uh, and get some things off of their plate that they really don't need to worry about. Uh, it helps us uh, uh, continue to treat local resource concerns with our conservation district system, and and, and I think it'll be better in the, uh, in the long run to to work with it that way. It's kind of assumed this is headed to the courts. Do you agree? Uh, you know what? I don't know that. Uh, I, I think that I would about anything is headed to the courts. It seems like uh, in these days and times. So, uh, 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 like I said, we uh, NACD policy falls in a, a kind of a give and take middle. You know, we understand the differences. We understand the needs of of low water western uh, uh, grazing lands and high water uh, uh, areas that uh, that that need to store water and uh, and work on water quality. Uh, but there are people that uh, that have those same goals in mind, but they want to take a different tack to, to get there. Uh, one thing that we not do probably is set a standard that is too low by regulation. Uh, there's always a chance that uh, that uh, 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 someone could be regulated, meet the minimum, and still not solve the problem. But, but in those cases where we can provide options that will actually uh, regenerate or build uh, uh, build uh, some some cushion into the the work we're doing uh, through water quality efforts and soil health. That's where the real the, the, the real low hanging fruit is. All right, Tim. Thanks a lot. We'll see where this goes. As it, I've said this before. It's interesting that on this issue, and we got agriculture and uh, and EPA on the same side on this one. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that. Uh, uh, Obviously, with the, the weather patterns we've been having lately and the things that affected us uh, across the country this spring, we need to have more conversations. We're in the same room trying to protect our food supply and protect our people and, and figure out how to go from there. Tim, as always appreciate the chance to talk conservation. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike, and I'll look forward to the next time. Take care. Tim Palmer, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. Again, the the comment period on the EPA's proposed new waters of the U.S. rule, that uh, that comment period has ended, and now we would see where we go from here as they take a look at those comments. And, again, many expecting it's going to be whatever the decision is going to, the rule is probably going to be challenged in court. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Good information coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity. So they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger. From farming to construction to trucking. 
Visit fsgoldstandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oilseed sector, we have a Wednesday mix, an hour into the trading day with an easier tone in corn, soybeans, Minneapolis wheat, Chicago wheat, and Kansas City firm after recent losses. The ag weather forecast calling for wet weather and saturated fields to continue to delay spring field work in most areas of the Midwest. In the northern plains, rain over the next couple of days, adding more flood pressure, especially in the Red River Basin. In the southern plains, soil moisture remains favorable for winter wheat, and crop ratings are quite a bit higher than a year ago. In Chicago, wheat an hour into the day, we're one to two and a fraction higher. July at 4.50 and three quarters, up two and a quarter. Kansas City wheat, July up four and a quarter at 4.26 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, new crop September, up a quarter of a cent, 5.37 and a quarter. In corn, July down a penny at 3.66 and three quarters. December at 3.86 and a half. That's down a penny. Soybean futures, July down four and a half, 8.97 and a quarter. November down four at 9.17. Cotton trade is mixed after a rally on Tuesday. July cotton down 14 points at 78.42. For livestock at the American Live Cattle Futures, we are trending a nickel to 35 cents lower. June down 22 at 122.22 per hundred weight. Feeder cattle may contract up 15 at 151.40. We've been waiting for cash cattle trade to develop in the central and southern plains. Lean hog futures, June contract down $1.32 at 95.80. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 34, S&P down 3, May crude oil in New York up 4 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Let's talk about trade, in particular your differences with the, the president when it comes to the use of tariffs. Now, in the case of Mexico and Canada, the president put these tariffs on to get them to negotiate. The negotiations were successful from the president's point of view. Then the tariffs ought to go off. They're still on. The president's got to realize Mexico's not going to take it up. Canada's not going to take it up. We aren't even going to take it up in the United States Congress unless those tariffs get off. Uh, I don't know why it takes so long. The economy's a little bit soft. Some success on trade negotiations would really be a big boost to the economy. This may not be done this year, and if it isn't done this year, it's not going to be done in election year. So the president needs to get off of uh, the pot and uh, start doing things that will help him and the economy. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always enjoy talking trade issues and market issues with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. He joins us now. Hi, Arlen. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. It's finally starting to feel a little bit like spring. Yeah, a little bit. And here and there, a little bit of field work, uh, but more rain coming. So really, we won't see that big jump for a while yet, will we? No, we won't, and the market uh, doesn't see the planning delays we're talking about because, frankly, we really don't have planning delays across the Midwest so much as we have field preparation delays that will result in planning delays down the road. And uh, I know there's that's a little bit more significant for spring wheat than it is for corn right now. Um, but uh, the trade watching the numbers and saying, well, we normally don't have that much done now, but the amount of field preparation needs to be done yet is simply – uh, huge, and uh, that's what's going to be the big problem, getting the fertilizer on, getting the field work done. A lot of waiting right now, either waiting to for fields to be dry enough to get out to, or if they are, people are waiting for anhydrous tanks. Big demand in, in, in areas where it is dried up a little bit, uh, everybody wanting those at the same time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we're probably going to end up in some areas having to make a switch from gas to liquid, uh, increasing our costs. And, and then you have to ask whether we're going to get enough nitrogen on for the amount of moisture that we have. So a lot of questions yet unanswered. Fortunately, some of the longer-term outlooks are starting to be less cool and uh, a little bit less wet. Hopefully that will allow a little bit more work to be done and, and uh, we'll be able to make some progress. Talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Arlen, is, we didn't have enough uh, to keep us uh, interested in, on trade, watching what's going on with China, kind of with you know great anticipation. Now we get to do it with Japan as well. Yeah, and I uh, heard a presentation last week on Thursday by Greg Dowd, who is the uh, U.S. ambassador for ag negotiations on uh, Robert Lighthizer's team. And uh, he said we need to get the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement passed through Congress because that's really um, taking our resources we need in order to get a trade deal negotiated with Japan. And he was talking about the amount of trade that we're losing with Japan now that it has agreements with other uh, competitor countries. So this is a very significant deal that we need to get worked on. And and according to uh, Greg Dowd, we need to uh, get the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement uh, passed so that we can really focus on the Japan deal. We need a we need some optimism here. So let me ask you this: What if we got what would seemingly be good deals for agriculture? Uh, USMCA, China, and Japan. If we had all three of those happen this year, what kind of boost could that mean for the markets? Well, significant. Uh, now, we've, one of the things we've been looking at is needing to get Japan for the meat side. I think we're going to take care of much of that with China, and I think that's going to end up happening whether we have a trade deal or not. So then it comes down to grain. Uh, certainly, Japan is a big, uh, Mexico's a big buyer of corn and one of our bigger buyers and soybeans. Um, but that's been happening despite the lack of an agreement. It would open more doors for Japan, especially for wheat, and that's something that's needed. Certainly China uh, would seem to be taking a lot more corn and wheat and ethanol and DDGs if we get agreement. And uh, so I think that's where the biggest boost would come. And then, of course, there's Europe, and uh, Europe is insisting ag not be a factor in the trade negotiations. President Trump is insisting that it will. Our offices in um, in Europe say that because of their practices and their policies of uh, supporting just inefficient agriculture there and a lack of supporting GMO, that they're running an increasing deficit and not being able to keep up with demand with their own production. So they think it's going to eventually push Europe into having to open the door perhaps to U.S. commodities, whether we have a trade agreement or not. Okay, let's talk Japan because there's a lot of optimism building because of the situation with African swine fever that uh, they're going to China's going to need to buy a lot of protein from us, pork primarily, maybe some beef and poultry as well. Uh, I've already started seeing some things about maybe talk of uh, expanding the uh, the swine herd in the U.S. Are, are we getting too far ahead of ourselves yet, or is, or is that kind of optimism uh, and that kind of thinking warranted here? I think it's warranted. Um, basically, what we're hearing from the industry and from our people on the ground in China and the U.S. industry here connected to the export market both is basically we're expecting a full-scale import of meat into China, and the only limitation or the primary limitation of the volume of meat that gets imported into China will be the number of refrigerated freighters on the ocean and how many round trips they can make. Uh, and even at that, there's an expectation that it will not fill the deficit of meat um, because of African swine fever in China. So we're expecting uh, a protein market and the meat complex as a whole to really rise worldwide price-wise. Um, China's already uh, publicly saying they expect their pork prices to rise 70% year-on-year um, by the last half of this year, and I think that's well justified, and uh, that's going to help pay the way for importing that meat. So how friendly are you on pork prices then? 
Well, I, I think we're just seeing the beginning. The risk that we have to always say here, if, if a producer is saying, I'm going to expand because of higher pork prices, we've got a number of producers already locking in the prices for the next year, locking in prof profits, knowing that prices may go considerably higher, but also knowing that the first time we get a case of African swine fever or even a report, whether true or not, in U.S. soil, we could see this market just utterly collapse. So on the pork side, we're going to have to be very careful, take advantage of opportunities, but always make sure you're pulling up your risk protection underneath of the market in case that suddenly happens, because at that point you probably would be locked out and unable to uh, get that protection in place. Yeah, pretty high risk, uh, high reward situation there. Well, if we're going to expand the herd, that should create more demand for uh, feed grain, right? Yeah, and I think the maximum we can expand this hog production is about 4 maybe 5% tops on a year-to-year -year basis. Uh, poultry production should increase as we increase poultry exports to China as well. Um, we'll also see some incentive, I think, to increase uh, beef production. That should be good for feed grains. It should be good for the proteins. And particularly if what we're hearing is true and we see DDGs and ethanol move to uh, move to China, that means that we should see some increased demand for soy meal as well. The protein, uh, the soy protein, I think, is going to be slower to respond because we have such a big surplus now. We've got to work through that surplus, and that's going to take some time. I think the first to respond is probably the feed grain market. What do your people in China tell you about the situation there? It's so hard to get a lot of good information on African swine fever, real accurate information. We've heard a lot of different numbers. What are you hearing? Well, as I talked to our people this week again um, in, the, in our offices in China, and they talked to their uh, feed buyers and feed processors and people closely involved in the industry, um, they keep emphasizing that in the major production areas of the north that hog feeding is down by more than 50%. In the south, hog feeding is down by more than 30%. Uh, as I push them, then what nationally is it down? They're still going with the 40% uh, level. It's down 40%, but the, I can tell there's a bias toward it. It's, it's starting to push higher than that now. Um, and I ask them each week, I said, is there any indication that the disease is being slowed? And uh, they continue to say there is no indication. It's still a very dire situation. Disease is still spreading unimpeded. So... I've heard different opinions on whether or not this puts pressure on China to to come to some kind of an agreement on a trade deal. Whether we have the deal done or not, it seems like they're going to have to buy uh, more protein. Uh, yes, I think it's one of the factors. I think there's a myriad of reasons why China would like to get a deal. One of those, though, is so that it can focus. This is a national crisis. Um, when you have that big of a drop in food, uh, availability. Um, that is a significant factor for a nation to deal with, and they want to be able to free resources to focus on that, and, and let alone to be able to remove the tariffs and the various barriers uh, to be able to import the meat to fill the deficit. They also need to focus their resources on getting it done. And I think, again, is another reason why I do now expect there to be a deal. I think we'll be dealing with China and, and uh, trade problems for decades to come. Um, but in the near term, I think that's why they want to get a deal done, and the sooner the better so they can focus on this. Well, back to that risk-reward thing. I mean, uh, there's plenty of risk there, but it sure seems there's potential reward looming uh, as we move forward here this year. I would certainly agree with that. Uh, and uh, anything that's good for the meat complex eventually is good for the grain complex as well. Yeah, well, we'll see how it plays out and watch closely these uh, these trade ongoing trade talks. We've been talking about them for a long time. Hopefully we're getting uh, close to some uh, uh, deals being made. Arlen, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for the, all the information. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Interesting uh, scenario, that high-risk, high-reward uh, scenario that he is painting there as we move forward here in 2019. All right, so is EPA ready to slow down on the number of 
small refinery exemptions they're granting to the oil industry on uh, to get them out of the RFS. Have things started to change on that front? We're going to talk with the National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters, Jarrett Renshaw, will join us next. What is he hearing from EPA and from the industry? What does he think is going to happen? That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, plant-based burgers are in the marketplace and you shouldn't just dismiss these if you're a livestock producer or a meat eater. Let's talk about it with Eric Bowl. He is the Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau. They are serious about finding something that actually approximates real meat. That's the, the difference here is you know, these garden burgers and Boca burgers before were marketed towards vegans and vegetarians. They were not ever meant to take over part of the meat market. These are intended to take over the meat market. Their entire goal of these companies on their mission statements is to end animal agriculture. And that is what makes it really different is they've got big money behind this. It's high tech and they're really getting close to getting it right. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device.
Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, is EPA going to change how they... Uh, grant these small refinery exemptions may we see fewer of them moving forward or not let's talk with Jarrett Renshaw national energy markets reporter for Reuters Jarrett thanks for joining us uh, so how do you how do you read the comments of Andrew Wheeler are they going to change uh, how they're doing this I mean basically they've been granting about all of them in the past all the requests is that going to change moving forward that is a million dollar question right Mike I, I... You know, I think uh, Wheeler in the past has suggested that rent prices may influence the results, but not as specifically or as detailed, well, not detailed, but not as specifically as he did last week with us. Um, So I I take that as, um, you know, that was a a very deliberate uh, comment. Uh, It was an interview he was prepared for. He knew he was going to get the question, um, and he gave an answer that I think he was prepping the market for. So... So I do think there's going to be fewer, uh, could be one fewer, could be 50. Yeah. You know, so I, I, you know the, the details matter, but I, I do think given how close we are to them making any kind of announcement on that and his comments, I think you have to take that. that mean, that's meaningful. We're not six months away. We're not eight months away from this. We're days, weeks away from learning about it. And for him to have such a uh, concrete statement on it, I think um, – we should we should take away what he wanted us to take away that, that there, there would be some 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 less waivers. I was going to say just the fact that he said it has to carry some weight. Give us some uh, indication that uh, something's something's up, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think he's uh, he's a very um, uh, savvy. He's uh, he's certainly a creature of Washington. He understands that you have to kind of lay the groundwork for some decisions that are going to roil some people. Um, uh, I think, like I said, I think it was a deliberate to, for him to get out there. I think he wants to, you know, he's getting a lot of pressure. But, again, we still don't know, you know, like I said, it could be one fewer or it could be uh, a lot fewer. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think all that really matters at the, when, when, when we tally up the results in terms of how people will feel. Well, I'd say the uh, the renewable fuels industry is is happy to hear that but i'm going to kind of wait and see they want they want to see actions to back up words what's the reaction response by the oil industry uh i think they're they're similar to taking a kind of a wait and see approach i think they have been um less vocal about certain things during this process because i think they saw momentum was going in their direction they haven't really reacted a lot um, to that news, so that that could also be telling to, to what they're they're being told behind the scenes. Um, you know, we have seen some uh, moves um, on bringing some transparency to these waivers. Um, so where 
I think the, the EPA is moving to naming names. Um, who got them? Who got them? Who applied for them? Um, which is, I think, is a step in the right direction for transparency. And I, I think we've seen some some concerns raised by the refining industry on that. That's that's where they've been vocal in the last couple of weeks. Well, when Wheeler said rent prices are a big factor in in determining whether or not they grant the waivers, then I know a lot of people in the renewable fuels industry have been saying that. Well then why were you still granting them because rent prices have been low for some time? For sure. I, I think, um, you know, we have to remember that this program is, is retroactive. So, therefore, you know, uh, the 17 waivers that they that recently announced applied to the 17 calendar year where, where rent prices were significantly higher than they are now. So, you know, when they when they give the supporting documentation, it, it, it's not – as the prices are now, as its prices are when in the year in which they applied for them. Um, that being said, if, you know the EPA has been all over the place with this program in terms of how they apply the standards. Some, you know, they they they've ignored uh, viability, which is one of the metrics, which is profitability, which assumes takes rent prices into account. Now they're saying they're going to take. So, I, you know, quite frankly, I don't. It's hard for me to understand exactly how they uh, measure this stuff. And I, Quite frankly, I think it's uh, uh, amendable to change regarding where the clinical winds are going. Okay, we're mid-April. How do you handicap the race to get E15 approved by June 1? I think, uh, by all accounts, it seems like they're they're going to get there. Um, uh, I think the biggest question for ethanol producers and folks who are supportive of E15 is uh, how the courts respond. I think the day that that gets rules finalized, We'll see uh, see oil industry in court seeking an injunction, um, and uh, I think that's where I think we all say right now E15 is going to happen in terms of the rule. We think it's going to happen by uh, by June. I think the one variable that we don't know is how a judge is going to respond to requests for injunction, which are inevitably going to come. So, in other words, you could get the rule. The courts could shut it down, or the courts could allow it to go into place while they look at it. For sure, I think that's that's where I think that's really the next big question for E15 is, you know, there's going to be an immediate ruling from a judge, one way or the other. Can we should we uh, should we uh, uh, place an injunction on on the rule moving forward as we wait to hear the case? And uh, quite frankly, I think the oil industry has a, a pretty if it, a pretty legitimate chance. Uh, getting some traction on that, um, the, you know, if uh, if the rule were to move forward and uh, and at some point be declared illegal, you can't put all that investment back, you know, and then all of a sudden they become they become a, it becomes more of a little challenge because retailers have invested in it, thinking that there is a rule, and courts are sympathetic to um, particularly small operations investing in stuff and then having the government um, force you to, to kind of drop that investment, so. I think, uh, you know, that's something to watch. I, I, like I said, I think the, the oil industry has a legitimate uh, chance to, to, to get some traction on, on, on any injunction, which obviously is not good news for that small folks. So as we say, with so many issues in agriculture and out of agriculture, so many of these uh, big, hot topics are probably headed to the courts. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I yep. think that's where uh, there'll be a lot of court action this year, no doubt. All right, Jared, thanks for the update. Good to talk with you. Good talk with you. Take care. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. All right. Coming up tomorrow, more updates on these trade talks and the situation with China and Japan especially. And we'll start previewing this year's Farm Progress Show. Are they getting any planning done in Decatur, Illinois? We'll talk about that tomorrow. Join us on AOA. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.